Well, good morning. It is great to be back in the land of the living. Yeah. So, uh, so we've been looking at Daniel, and uh, I've got this started at the wrong slide. So we're just going to have to. I know I could. I know I could escape, and there's other ways to do this, but where I could freak my computer out. I kind of like freaking my computer out sometimes. Yeah, I hope y'all are. I hope y'all are good readers. <laughs> Defiant arrogance is what we're going to be looking at today, um, and so uh, so. The book of Daniel has uh, eight different visions, and in those eight visions, it kind of narrows down to a certain point. And the question for all of us, the question that, that Daniel is answering is, are you a man or a beast? Okay, so politically, I'm not going to, you know, I don't, I, I, I try not to get into politics, but politically, our nation changed when we had the Scopes Monkey Trial here in Tennessee, and there was an argument whether or not uh, uh, humans were children of God, born of God, created by God, in the image of God, or whether or not we were descended from the apes. Okay, and so they call it the Scopes Monkey Trial. It's a historical event, and it, and it altered a lot of the way that Americans thought about each other and about themselves. Okay, and so as we've got the battle for the Supreme Court, and we've got uh, some things like abortion and stuff like that, and uh, late-term abortion, and when is when is human life human life? We need to keep in mind that the Bible has uh, it has information for us. It has stuff that we can look at historically at some people who've chosen different routes, and we can learn from those things, and so and we can discern God's will from those things. So, um, so what happens is that we, we've got kind of a funneling down to this business of Nebuchadnezzar, who's egotistical. He's the, the master of Babylon. He's the king of Babylon, uh, emperor, if you will. Um, and uh, it's, it's grown beyond city-state. It's conquered Rome, uh, not con conquered Rome, uh, conquered Jerusalem. And so I just want us to quickly uh, get, a, get a recap. Uh, so Nabopolozar, who was Nebuchadnezzar's dad, you'll notice Nebuchadnezzar is Nebuchadnezzar II. That's because this is the Neo-Babylonian Empire. So there's some history here that we won't go into. But the Babylonian Empire lasted for about a thousand years before the time of Nebuchadnezzar. So we're talking uh, really, uh, he comes on the scene a little bit later on in the scene. There's Assyrians and different kinds of ethnic groups that are actually ruling over Babylon uh, as a city-state. So, um, so Nabopolozar, who is Nebuchadnezzar's dad, who's only important in the fact that he was the king when Nebuchadnezzar, for the, for the story here in the Bible, uh, he's so important because he's the father of Nebuchadnezzar who was co-reigning with his old father. Okay, As his father was getting older, Nebuchadnezzar comes down, he attacks Jerusalem, he conquers Jerusalem because God turned it over to him literally turned it over to him. And so it, it goes down. Nebuchadnezzar then exports some people. This is not slavery. This is exile. He took the best of the people and he brought them to Babylon. 
He took them and he trained them and uh, he made them part of his kingdom. So these are not slaves. They're not, you know, they're not construction workers for the pyramids like they were in Egypt. Okay? Uh, and, and other menial tasks. They are actually business people, advisors. They're trained in the language. So uh, Daniel and his friends all get that training. They insist on being Jews. So they keep the Jewish customs as far as food requirements. They, uh, they still praise God. Everything they, does, they do uh, praises God and glorifies God in everything that happens in the first four chapters of Daniel. Uh, at, at this point, we are between... Uh, 562 and uh, the end of the Babylonian Empire and so I'll just say that, uh, that Daniel does not record all of these other people. Amel, Marduk, Nereg, however you say these names. Okay? Okay? Uh, he doesn't record any of these people. Marduk, by the way, was the god of the Babylonians. Okay? He was their local deity. So there, was, there were these constant uprisings because people wouldn't honor Marduk. They would honor some other god, like if you had an Assyrian that came in, somebody from another town or something like that. They had their own town's god. And so they had lots of gods, but this was, this was their patron saint, if you will, uh, Marduk. And so you see that in the names. Look at that in about 22 years. From Nebuchadnezzar, about 22 years, you get five different rulers. Chaos, total change. And we're not talking about uh, we're going to have an election and everything passes peacefully to the next person. Okay? We're talking about violent coups. Okay? One of these guys kills his young, we don't know exactly how young, but young nephew, his young nephew, uh, Amel Marduk is actually killed as a child, and, uh, and the uncle, Nereg Glisser, actually takes his place. Uh, yeah, so uh, this guy, uh, Labashi Marduk, only reigns for two months. Okay, yeah, he was king of Babylon. Gets his name in the history book. Okay, gets it written on a little scroll kind of thing. Not scroll, but cuneiform. Not a tablet, but cylinder, okay, which they like to write on. Okay. Belshazzar, who we're going to see in the story today, Belshazzar is called king in the book of Daniel. Other historians don't call him king. They just call him the crown prince. He reigns in the stead of his father, who's absent for 10 years. So Daniel calls him king. Everybody else just calls him crown prince or regent uh, from the historical perspective. And then we'll get the, uh, the fall of Babylon without a fight. Really, no shots are fired except Belshazzar is killed, okay, as the regent. So that's to catch us up. By the way, that's October the 12th. Oh, today's the 11th, okay? And this happens, uh, this happens the night of the 11th, beginning the 12th. And, uh, and so tonight is the anniversary <laughs> of Babylon falling. Okay, and of this of this story. So, was the city ransacked? Uh, the city was not ransacked. Yeah, the fall of Babylon was not a ransacking kind of event. It was it was a very peaceful coup. Okay, and the reason for that—that's a good question. 
the reason for that is because Belshazzar was not promoting Marduk. So the people didn't like Belshazzar. He's actually promoting a different god. And so, uh, so the Persians come in, and when the Persians come in, they say, your god will still be the god of your city. And so it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting story, but uh, uh, they actually reroute the Euphrates River because the guy's horse drowned in a previous battle. They reroute the Euphrates River into the desert so that it dries up. And they march into Babylon through the water gate. And they conquer it in the middle of the night while everybody's having a big party. Okay? That's so absurd. That's absurd. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is the Euphrates River. It's a, it's a huge river, okay? But the guy's horse drowned in a previous uh, assault on, on uh, Babylon, and he was angry because his horse drowned. And so when he came back, he said, I'm going to take care of this river. So he just reroutes the river. Yeah, get some guys to dig canals, a whole bunch of guys. He's got an army. Uh, so if you've ever seen the 300, the Persians had huge armies. Okay, if you've ever seen the movie The 300. But anyway, let's jump on into Daniel chapter 5 then. Daniel chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, we read about this party. Okay, somebody read that for us in a loud, clear voice, please. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblet that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wife and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblet that had been taken from the temple of God and from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of the gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Okay. <coughs> so Belshazzar is reigning as regent for his father, Nabonidus, uh, and uh, who's gone for uh, 10 years. He's like staying at some oasis over in the Arabian desert. Okay, he evidently does not like Babylon. Okay, we don't know exactly why, but the written record shows that. Um, uh, some people think that this is actually all fiction. I'm going to just say, uh, just you know, if you if you look at Wikipedia or you look at the, you know, uh, people's opinions, they think that Daniel is all a book of historical fiction. Okay? I don't believe so, but uh, there may be some things I'll talk about. One thing that I cannot explain, um, but Nebuchadnezzar, there was actually there was actually a time of silence near the end of his reign. Nabonidus, uh, there's actually ten years where he's gone. He's vacant, and so some people think that that the story of his absence is related through Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, because he's gone for 10 years and Nebuchadnezzar's crazy for seven years. Uh, so some people think that. So if you, if you just do some research, you'll find some stuff about these people. But anyway, okay. So, uh, so what does he order? To bring gold and silver goblets. To bring gold and silver goblets. From where? From... From the temple, the temple where? 
That's where they're originally from. But do you recall where they were stored when Jerusalem was sacked? They were stored in a temple. Okay? So they were stored. So, so Belshazzar is actually left in charge. His only job is, is officially his only job. Uh, his job description is to keep that temple. To keep the things in it holy. Okay? Obviously, he doesn't really care about the sacredness of those things because he says, bring them out. Let's use them. Okay? This is very, very different from the way that, that God perceives things that have been uh, consecrated to him. So they're just brazenly using those. Okay? So why does that offend or anger God? These things were set aside for a special purpose and used not for them to be drinking out of at a party. Yeah, yeah. Just yesterday morning, I was reading the news, and I saw that down in Louisiana, you would think with the hurricane going on, that they'd have enough to report. But down in Louisiana, some priest and two women were having sexual relations on the altar in the front of the church building. The police said, that's not illegal. But the fact that the windows were open to where people could see in made it illegal. There's nothing sacred to our secular government. I need you to see that. A secular government does not consider things sacred, even things of God. So here's Belshazzar who's saying, this is not sacred stuff. This is not holy. We can use it any way we want to. Hey, we got a party going on. I got a thousand people. Forget the, you know, I'm going to get out the good silverware for me and my concubines. My wife, or my wives actually, he says. Okay. Um, so, this is, this is pretty brazen, don't you think? Uh, you know, this is in your face to God. Okay. Um, so, and then notice that he uses those who does he toast? The gods, of the, the gods of wood, of stone, of so you know, of, of of just rocks and wood. I mean, you know, whatever it says here, you know, gold, silver. Okay, these iron god of iron. Ooh. Okay. So uh, I used to. Uh, I've, I had. A, I have a friend who uh, who's from Latin America, and uh, he he died. Uh, but he he used to complain. He did not like to use the English words for the days of the week because they were named after Norse gods. Okay, and I'm going like, wait a minute, aren't your gods? Aren't your days of the week named after Latin gods? <laughs> Martis, Lunis, etc., etc. Okay, so, um, so yeah, we've got you know it's a lot easier to see in somebody else's culture. It's a lot easier to see the same things that we do, okay, and to condemn those in somebody else's culture. So it's really good that the Bible records this in Aramaic, so that all the people were informed. Okay, it's not just written in Hebrew. We're only God's people could read it. It's written in Aramaic where everybody can read it. So, um, 
So here's a question for us. As he toasts the and praises their pagan deities, the question for us is, what have you done to profane holy things? Words, actions of the living God. Okay. Um, and, and I, I had a an older gentleman when I was growing up that, uh, that had a problem, as we all do, we had, he had a problem reconciling uh, the theory of evolution and the story of the Bible. And this was the 70s. So uh, uh, a lot of Christians were struggling that. I was struggling with it myself. And as he was trying to struggle with it and think, is God for real, you know, and, and all that, he, he explained it to us in Bible class that there were no such thing as dinosaurs, that God just put dinosaur bones in in the ground in order to trick people. You know that God, he's a tricker. That God, you know, what's he doing? He's going around lying to people so that they'll, you know, no, no, that's, that's what I would call profane. That's a characteristic of God, of truth and honesty, of love and of justice that is, that is being twisted in a way to make it match what you think are, are certain facts. Okay? So we have to be very, very careful. We can do that very easily sometimes, thinking we're honoring God. Well, His Word is true, but it's just that these bones, God put those bones in there just to trick us. Okay? That's not... That's not the God I read about in the Bible. So, um, um, what about do you say stuff like, uh, I'm lucky versus I'm blessed? You know, when God's done something really good for you, do you attribute it to luck or your own skill or your own intelligence? Okay. Salvation by works. I've earned this. The Jews were guilty of that. Paul said, what? You're bragging about being circumcised? Really? You know, that doesn't save you, Paul says. Okay? I mean, imagine, he, said, he, he literally says this in Romans. He says, imagine if you were bragging about being baptized and saying, God, you owe me salvation now. Like you've done something. Baptism is a passive action. That is to say, it's something that's done to you where God has immersed you into Jesus Christ. It's not something you've done and earned something because of it. God's gifted you with salvation. Okay? And we need to acknowledge that. Okay? Maybe sometimes we've twisted God's Word. We've profaned His temple. Either His temple, your body, the temple of the Holy Spirit, or His temple, the church. Paul refers to both of those things. So if I could get somebody to read 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17, who would do that? Idara, will you do that for us? 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, and somebody else? 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. Thank you, Mark. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20. But first, 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Listen to the difference of these two things. Don't you realize that all, all of you together are temples of God and the, and the Spirit of the God who lives in you? 
God will destroy anyone who destroys his temple. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Yeah, I love this. By the way, this is a clear evidence that the Apostle Paul was Southern. Because he says y'all. Okay? He says y'all, plural. Okay? Y'all, plural. You, as, as a part of a group. Okay? So, people are doing things that are unholy. Okay? And 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20. Flee from sexual immorality. All of their sins a person commits are outside of the body. But one who sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Yeah. So he's saying bodies. Okay? Your body. Talking about sexual sin. He's not talking about the, the whole church having sexual relations with each other. He's talking about you as an individual and what you do and the holiness of what you do because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So he says, y'all as a church are the, are the temple of God. And he says, you as an individual are the temple of God. You house the Holy Spirit of God. Okay? That's a significant thing. So the principle we see here is that God does wonderful things. Honor Him for what He has said and done. And revere His temple both in your body and in the church. You'll hear people who profane the church. Oh, the church is, and they go home and they talk about how bad the church is. I want you to remember that Jesus Christ married the church. They're His bride. Imagine standing on a wedding day and you're calling the bride of the groom all kinds of nasty names. And you're talking bad about her at the wedding. That's what it's like to profane the church. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't recognize Issues, we do need to recognize issues and we need to resolve those issues because, especially, issues of holiness and honesty and truthfulness. So, where we've got hypocrisy in the church, it needs to be highlighted, but it's highlighted within the church, it's not talked about out in public. We need to deal with that. Okay, we've had deacons here who've left their wives, they've left their wives and gone off with some other woman. Okay? deserted their families. That's wrong. And I guarantee you the elders have confronted them. When we find out anybody has deserted their family, man or woman has deserted their family, we confront them and say, this is wrong. This is ungodly. Okay? This is not behavior, behavior that's acceptable in the body of Christ. Okay? And we seek repentance and love out of those people. Seek to show love. Okay. So, uh, let's go to the next few verses. Five through seven. Somebody? Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall, near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means, be clothed in purple, have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be named the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Yeah. You see, God declares true judgments because he's alive. What about the gods of the Babylonians? 
They're made out of what? Gold, silver, stone. You ever seen a stone hand right? Me either. Ever seen a wooden hand right? No. Hadn't done it. Okay? So God declares true judgments and he demonstrates that he's alive. Okay? None of those idols did this kind of stuff. Okay? Does this sound spooky to you? Sounds spooky. Maybe it's because it's October. I don't know. But just, you know, if I were up here teaching and all of a sudden some hand started writing my notes on the board here, just, you know, thing, <laughs> thing starts writing. I, I don't know. Uh, wow. Wow. It's got his attention. Uh, how do we know this is not just some magician's trick? Because uh, because magicians can't do that. Okay? Yeah. Give me some other clues from the text. No one could read it. What's that? No one could read it. Nobody could read this. It was written in a language that they didn't discern. So the magicians weren't doing it. Or else they would have said, this is what it means. Give 10% more to your magicians. Yeah. <laughs> Give us a raise. Okay? No. No. Okay, what else? Where is it written? Near the lampstand on the wall. Near the lampstand. Do you see magicians in well-lit areas, or do you always see them using black cloths and smoke and mirrors and okay? So this is in plain sight, everybody, near the lampstand, okay? So they see it. They can read it. Um, uh, were there any witnesses? Yeah, about a thousand or so. <laughs> okay. So, you know, when you've got a crowd like that, it's hard to, for a magician to do that from every angle. Okay. But this is happening. This is not a magician's trick. And, and these guys were used to magician's tricks. And he recognizes it. How do you know from his reaction that he interprets this as other than a magician's trick? From his reaction. He's terrified. What evidence do we have that he's really terrified? He's willing to give somebody the third highest position in the kingdom. He's going to cough up money. Third highest position. Gold. Okay. What else? His knees were knocking. His knees were knocking. Hard to fake that. You see somebody's lip trembling in a movie, they can fake that pretty well. Okay. But but if you got a little kid and you you know and they're really scared, their lip will tremble. Sometimes they'll turn blue. Okay, this guy is pale. Okay, his mom his mom actually I don't yeah his face turned pale right here it says it. Okay, so we know that this is not just a trick. Okay, so the king is visibly frightened and he offers a reward. Okay, so verses eight through twelve. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices, came into the banquet hall. She said, Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Because Daniel has a keen mind and knowledge and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems, call for, call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. Okay. 
Okay. So again, we see nobody can read it but Daniel. Okay. They call for Daniel. Okay. This is the queen mother. Okay. She reminds of, of Daniel's gifts. What are, are the gifts that she attributes to Daniel? He can interpret dreams. We've seen this. He has a keen mind. He was quick to learn the language, the mathematics of Babylon, and the culture. Okay, we saw that in chapter 1. What else? He explains riddles. He explains riddles. What else? Solves difficult problems. Now, we're not given exactly what riddles and problems Daniel has been solving, but Daniel has been serving at this point for about 60 years in Babylon. Okay? He is no longer this young Daniel. So when we see in the next chapter, Daniel in the lion's den, this is not the same Daniel that we saw early on saying, I ain't eating your pork. Okay? This is a Daniel that's 60 years older. Okay? So in his 70s, maybe in his 80s. Okay? So... Uh, so Daniel is remembered for his righteous living and his wisdom. Uh, if somebody would go ahead and look up Matthew 5, 14 through 16 for us, who will do that? I'll do it. Okay. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. I've got it. Okay. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it out on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are a lamp. You are a lamp, folks. Let that strike home. You're God's light in your family. You're God's light. In your apartment with your roommate. You're God's light in your classroom. You're God's light at your job. On vacation, you're God's light. You are God's light. Don't hide it. Jesus said that. Okay? This is what we see from, King, uh, from uh, Daniel. We see that Daniel was willing to solve problems, to work out riddles to not not for people to be impressed with him but notice she even says the does she say she says it here somewhere the spirit uh, of the holy god the spirit of the holy gods is in him she attributes this to a divine gift okay a divine gift you have been given divine gifts and i've been given divine gifts so for some of us, it's, it's the ability to do art, okay? For some of us, it's the ability to learn languages and to speak to people in their language. For some of us, it's the ability to do mathematics, okay? Or to explain things to people and to teach people. For some, it's the caring of little children or the caring for older people, okay? So... We need to keep in mind that what, however you exercise the gifts God gives you, you exercise them for His glory, not your own. Okay? Not your own. 
So uh, I do want to make a couple of uh, just notations here. He says, uh, she says to Belshazzar, she says, your father Nebuchadnezzar. When she says father here, uh, this is an English translation of, uh, of the Aramaic. And so what's really going on is she's really saying your ancestor. Okay, your ancestor. So she's not actually saying he's your father, uh, as we saw But right there. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar was not the father of Belshazzar. Nabonidus was, and Nabonidus was not even in the lineage. He was a usurper. Okay, so he was in charge of something else. He's not even uh, got uh, Nebuchadnezzar's blood in him. So she's basically saying uh, your father, because that's the way they did things to say, I'm now the king. So therefore, Nebuchadnezzar is one of my ancestors because he preceded me. Kind of like we do with the presidents, you know, the president preceded, you know, and we still keep some acknowledgement of that. So we still call them uh, former president or former vice president or whatever. Uh, okay, so, so she's doing that. Uh, about a, about a 60 years after that first dream and how does she uh, she shows confidence in Daniel do you see that what what word here show, tells you that she's confident he can do it mm -hmm. Go back a slide. Your eyes. oh a moment sorry Without the pictures, it's hard for me to... Okay, because they do some retelling, so we'll go through the others quicker, but... Okay. What's she saying in the very last line? She says that he will tell you what the writing means. Did she say he might? Maybe? Okay. This is a confidence. Okay. If you recall, I said at the very beginning, God has... He has things recorded in His Word that we can learn from on how to live today. I'm confident of that. Now, does God mention whatever the presidential election? Does God mention uh, Supreme Court nominations? Does God mention COVID-19? God, you know, those things aren't specifically mentioned in the text, in the text of the Bible. But there are some, there are some things that we can be confident of. And when God speaks it, it gives us more and more and more confidence that He does know what He's talking about, and He's got control over history. Okay? So, as our daughter is trapped in Peru, I've got, I mean, she's trapped in Peru. She, she can hardly get home. Well, her fiancé is definitely trapped there. He's Peruvian. And the U.S. won't open the embassy. They won't uh, open their borders. And so, he's just stuck there in Okay, can't get out. We're like, it's been six months. Let him go already. Okay, but uh, you know, I've got confidence that God has got this. I don't understand it, but that's what faith is. Faith is being certain of something even when you haven't seen it yet. She's actually got a level of faith here that God's going to do this. Okay, okay, picking up the pace a bit. Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard the spirit of the gods is in you, and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. 
The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a chain placed around your neck, and you will be made third highest ruler in the kingdom. Okay, some repetition here, but I do need, I need you to see that God has given us gifts to show His truth to the world, and our confidence in God is contagious. Our confidence in God spread. His com Daniel's confidence in God, remember Daniel said, if you'll give me a night, God will reveal it to me. Don't kill me yet. Give me a night. I'll tell you in the morning. And he comes back in the morning. He tells him the dream. Okay? So twice Daniel's got confidence that God will do this. Twice it's recorded for us. Okay, many, many times. God, Daniel's got confidence that God is working behind the scenes to accomplish his will and will deliver him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know that God will, can deliver us from the fire, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to serve your God. We're not going to bow down to him. That's a confidence. Daniel's confidence is contagious. It spreads to the whatever the king of the, the mother of the king, whatever. Uh, and, and then now the king himself actually says, I, I've heard you can do this. I think you can do it. Okay? So Daniel uh, answers the king. Let's hear what Daniel's answer is. Then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Whoa, whoa. Does this sound right to y'all? <laughs> <laughs> Something sounds backwards. You're going before the most powerful person in the country. And you say, keep it. I don't want your stuff. Okay? Let's keep going. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Your majesty, the most high God, gave you your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. Okay. And by the way, this tells us a lot about uh, God's view of governments, of human governments, doesn't it? God put Nebuchadnezzar in a position to kill people that were out of line. Do you catch that? Okay. Those he wanted to put to death, it, it's not a condemning thing here. Okay. Those he wants to elevate, he elevates. Those he wants to take stuff away from, he takes stuff away from. Okay. This is a human kingdom, and God has got those kingdoms in charge of people. And there, there's a king, you know, there's the United States government is in charge of us. Okay, I don't, I don't see anybody here that's not under our government. Okay, so um, uh, what else do we see here? Why, why do you think he does this? Does he just refuse to cooperate? He doesn't really feel like he needs anything. Doesn't feel like he needs anything? He is older now. And he's got the gifts. He's already read it and figured out what it means. It doesn't mean much to be third highest to the king of 
or in Babylon when Babylon doth go down. <laughs> yeah. You got you like two hours, you got it. You got, you got two more hours, too. You better get busy, King. I'm now the captain of the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, yeah. but Daniel also has more respect for Nebuchadnezzar than he does for Belshazzar, possibly because from the previous chapters we know Nebuchadnezzar had some level of respect for God, and Belshazzar seems to have none whatsoever. He, he is absolutely defiant. He is arrogant. He is defiant. He is so full of himself, he's got no room at all for God. At least Nebuchadnezzar saw what was holy and admitted this is holy. Okay? This guy is a very different character. So we need to, we need, this is what Jesus would call casting your pearls before swine. Okay? So we need to recognize that among people. By the way, Abraham did the same thing. When Abraham rescued his nephew Lot, okay, he offered 10% of his stuff to the priest Melchizedek. But when the king of Salem said, I want my stuff back, Abraham said, Take all of, he said, I want some of my stuff back. Abraham said, no, take all of your stuff back. I don't want anybody to say that you made me rich. Nobody. I don't want to be beholden to you. I don't want to owe you anything. Okay? A very defiant, uh, I'm serving God, not you. Okay? So we need to recognize that as I, you know, as I work, as I interact with other people, as, you know, nobody holds my allegiance except God. And we see that with him. Okay? All right. Verses 22 to 23. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was disposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with wild donkeys and ate grass like an ox. And his body was drenched with dew until he acknowledged the, that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines drank wine from them. You praise the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which can't see or hear or understand. Okay, let's keep going with it. Somebody else? But you did not honor the God who holds <coughs> in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the words. This is the inscription. Mine, mine, tekel, parson. Here's what these mean. Mine, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. To Kel, you have been weighed on the scales and found money. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Okay. So I need somebody to uh, read for me Romans 1. Let me get scriptures here. Elijah, will you get Romans 1? 16 through 25. Somebody else? Titus 2? 
Titus 2, uh, 11 through 15, and somebody else, 2 Timothy 4. Catherine, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Okay? God expects people to respond to the truth they've been given. You are going to be asked by people, folks. You're going to be asked by people, how is God just? How is God a God of justice when He kills people that don't, that don't know Jesus and He sends them to hell forever? Okay? God is a just God. Be certain of it. He expects people to respond to the amount of truth that they've been given. And that's one of the things we see here. So, uh, let's hear Romans 1, 16 through 25. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, the righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just, it is, just as it is written, the righteousness will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of the people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has, made, what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Okay. All people have been given those things. They look up at the stars. They look down at the leaves changing color. They look at the cellular organization of our bodies. Okay. All people have been given evidence that God exists. Okay. And they'll be held accountable for it. Second, uh, sorry, Titus 2, 11 through 15, please. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Res What's he say again? Rebuke? <clears throat> Exhort and rebuke. Exhort and rebuke people with authority, with the authority of God. Okay? You have that, you have that charge. Okay? Uh, he's given it to Titus there, but, but, but it applies to us as well. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, 4, uh, sorry, 4, 1 through 5. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. If that doesn't sound like the cancel culture that surrounds me, I'm much mistaken. Okay? People wanting to hear only what they want to hear. Our reward, like Daniel, our reward is to speak the Word of God and to do the will of God even when people ignore Him. Okay? Numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. This is what God wrote, okay? 
How would God count your time? How would He measure you? How you measure up? Okay? Through Jesus Christ and the gifts He's given you, what are you doing with them? Okay? God intends our lives to be filled with proclaiming His power and His sovereignty. He uses us to declare His authority and explain the righteousness of His judgments. So I've got homework to pass out. If y'all will pass it out this way and over here. And we'll post that online for those that couldn't be with us today. Uh, uh, two more things, very, 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 very quickly, is one, uh, Darius the Mede is, uh, is not found in historical text. We don't know of any Darius the Mede. The Medes and the Persians we saw with uh, the statue and the dream of the statue of many parts, that the Medes and the Persians are going to replace the Babylonians. Nebuchadnezzar was told that. And they're mixed together. They're mixed together. So I have no idea on Darius the Mede. People smarter than me have researched it tremendously. And they say there is no Darius the Mede. It does say at the age of 62, Cyrus was the king of Persia at the time. He takes over Babylon, uh, sends his army in, and he is 62. So it could just be a transcription error. Uh, Cyrus is, is actually not his original name, and he's ethnically different than the Persians. So there's some stuff going on behind the scenes on all that, but I just say that I've got confidence in the Word of God, regardless of this tiny tidbit right here that, that, that we don't have historical record of. Okay? I'd like for us to leave going out singing this little light of mine. <laughs> This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine all the time. Let it shine. God bless you as you go all around your neighborhood. And don't put it under a bushel.